Hey, I really want to, I'm just really feeling the, the Lord speak to me uh, about relationships and uh, again. And if you were here last Sunday, one of the things, uh, one of the scriptures I brought out was John chapter 15. I won't go all through it, but it says, he says in John 15 verse 11, he said, I have told you these things. He's talking about abiding in him and loving one another. He said, I've told you these things that my joy and my delight may be in you. In other words, the real translation is, I've spoken to you that the simka of me may be in you and the simka of you may be made whole. In other words, what he's talking about, it's not just a, uh, a sense of happiness that just comes and then goes. It's not like a happiness that you hear from a comedian, but it's a, it's a deep sense of fulfillment. It's a deep sense of joy. It's a deep sense of uh, connection. It's a deep sense of purpose. And you find that relationship, uh, having a sense of purpose, is largely connected to the, the nature of the relationships that we have. And uh, today I really want to uh, just uh, start to speak into that a little bit more. Because one of the things we, uh, we know is that actually relationships, we are intrinsically designed for relationship. We were never designed to be alone or to live isolated. There are times when we can spend time alone, but we were never meant to live alone. We were never meant to live, never designed to live an isolated life. Uh, it's just, it, it's in the nature of life in itself that everything is connected to something else. And it, it's, it's in that connection where life is exchanged. And that is where purpose is fulfilled. So they're essential for life. The nature of relationships, I believe, shape our purpose and give us fulfillment in life. They also, as many would know, can also create the most deepest of pain. That's the, that's the irony of it. The very thing that gives us the most satisfaction, the most joy, the most uh, sense of fulfillment in our life can also be the very thing that also creates the most pain. And there you have almost like a dichotomy where uh, you, you want to engage in relationship, but you don't also want to, uh, you don't want to get hurt. But then the thing is you don't, want to grow old, you don't want to grow old and be alone. One of the things I found is that relationships really start at the core of our heart. And this is where uh, what has sin has done to mankind, essentially, where our heart has been broken, where our heart has been separated from God, where the breakdown of society, the breakdown of the heart, the breakdown of uh, uh, the, the turning away from God actually ends up affecting people's relationships. And, and you can see that the effect of that rest on society. Uh, and I believe the nature of our relationship is connected to, is directly connected to either what is in or what is not in our hearts. The nature of relationship, the nature of our relationship is directly connected, I believe, to this, to what is in or not in our hearts. So where there, if there is pain in your heart, you will find that that pain will be translated into a relationship. You'll find that, that, and you can see that everywhere, there's broken relationships, but when you track it down, you see actually your whole pile of individuals in a world of pain. And that pain eventually gets translated into, you wonder why we've got a broken down society. For some people, if there's nothing in their heart, if there's no love in their heart, how can they give something that they don't have? How can, they get, how can you give something, how can you give hope when you don't have hope? As a parent, how can you give hope to your children when you don't have any hope? How, how, so whatever's in our heart, like the Bible says, out of, guard your heart out of all things. Guard your heart because out of it flows every issue of life. Every issue of life. Even in your relationship, with your business, even customer law. Businesses, corporations know this, that the strength of a relationship that we have is with, our, uh, with our customers is vital to the longevity of the, of the organization. If something starts to break down, everything starts to break down. So one of the things I, I really have at my heart is this, is to 
not just build a church that has uh, a lot of numbers. We want to have, I want to have a lot of people. But I also want to have whole relationships because uh, it's interesting with the, where Kate and I were just sharing this morning. She asked me what I was going to preach on and, and uh, she gave a verse and actually they were the same kind of, they were the same verse. You know when you don't always talk about, I mean we do talk, but you know when your wife says this and you're just going to, yeah, that's got to be God. That's got to be God. And uh, the scripture was this. This is what Jesus said in John chapter 13, uh, verse 34 to 35. He said, a new command that I give to you, that you have good mates with one another. No. He says, a new command that I give to you, that you love one another. And by this, all men will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. He's not talking about Having love for one another, is, it's a different level from being mates. I mean, these people that you can have mates. So he's not saying, by the fact that you've got lots of mates, people will know that you are my disciples. He's not saying that at all. He's not even saying, by your spiritual insights and by your clever Facebook posts, everyone's going to know that you are a disciple of me. <laughs> no, he's not saying that at all. He's saying, by your love for one another, all people will know that you are my disciples. And this whole concept, the whole idea of love, love refers to a number of things, but one of the things it refers to, it refers to the nature of the relationship that we have either with, with God, with your family, with the people around you, with the person sitting next to you. We love each other, we love each other in different ways, but yet the nature of love is, is it's, it's a core ingredient to demonstrating that we are followers of Jesus Christ. The nature of our, I believe this, that the nature of our, of our relationships reflect the revelation that we have of Jesus Christ. The nature of our relationship that we have with the people around us, the body of Christ, this church, this Bay City family, the nature of the relationship that we have with one another will affect the revelation that we have, will reveal the revelation that we have of Jesus Christ. The, the, the way that we relate to our kids, the way that we relate to uh, the people in our society, the way that we relate to uh, our, our spouses, the way that we, re- the, the nature of our relationships reflect a lot, in fact, mostly what's in our heart. How can you say, the Bible even says, how can you say that you love God but yet hate your neighbor? How can you say that you love God but yet you despise somebody that's, you, you, you'll ignore somebody or you won't invite somebody in who's, who's different to you? And, uh, and, and this is what, one of the things I really want to encourage us with because it's actually, this here really gets to the core of where we live in our life. The nature of what's going, because it really reflects what's in our heart. This is why Jesus said, one of the things that we see when I was talking to this, uh, to, to this principle, it was quite obvious to see, and you don't have to look very far to see, even our wider society, there's a breakdown in the fabric of, of, the, of relationships. You have dads and who've abandoned their families, we have kids that have turned against their mums and dads with all the very fabric of the nature of relationships in our community, even within churches, has been broken down. I speak to pastors who are broken down. I speak to so many people. One of the things that always comes back to is actually the issue of the heart, where there's brokenness, when there's pain in the heart, <clears throat> where there's an absence of love in the heart. It affects the world around us. And one of the things I also see is... You can see the nature of relationships that people have. 
one of the things you find is if you start to look in society, many, time, many places in our society, that the nature of our relationships are very, very shallow. Very shallow. They're very superficial. The, 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 the conversation is very light. The conversation is, there's no engaging of hearts. Often the, the nature of the conversations is what, what I would call transactional. <clears throat> a lot of the workplace is, is the employment sector is a, is a transactional relationship where the nature is this, is that you're an employer, I need money, you need a job done, I need money, so we'll come together, we'll have some sort of relationship, both of us will go away happy to a certain degree, but not necessarily completely fulfilled. You have a transactional relationship, many churches are like this as well, where people will come to a church, they, they will do a thing, the pastor will does, does his thing, and both people go away, and there's no sense of meaningful relationship. You'd be surprised how widespread this is. You'll find that another thing that is common, another relationship that is out there is what I would call leveraged relationships, where the, I am building a connection with you, not because of anything else, but I want to get ahead. I see something in your life that would add value to me, and I will use you to get ahead. You'll find that churches are like this, businesses are like this, marketing companies are like this, when, when it, like for example, a brand has no value of its own. If a, if a company has got, you're starting a, a brand or you're starting a, a, a product and you're unknown, you have no value, you, know, you have no perceived value in the marketplace, one of the easiest and quickest ways for you to get recognition is to leverage your value of somebody else. So as soon as you add uh, like Coca-Cola or IBM or, or one of these companies like that, it's called leveraging value. You find that Je the same thing happened with Jesus as well, where the scribe came to Jesus and said, I will follow you wherever you may go. Jesus knew exactly what was going on inside of his heart. In other words, he was a teacher of the Bible. He made his living by teaching. And one of the things he saw was, my relationship with Jesus is going to, is going to help me get ahead in my ministry. And so that's the reason why I'm going to follow you. So the nature of his relationship with Jesus was not to love him or not to be building him up, but it was actually selfishness. So... Uh, leveraged relationship is largely based in a spirit of selfishness. And you'll find this everywhere. People will build relationships. They will look like they'll reach you. Maybe you're here today and you've had somebody reached out to you. Next thing you know, actually what they've really been after is something that you've got. All right? One of the things I'm believing for this is that actually as a church, as a body of Christ, if Jesus' word is true, like he said it is, is that actually people will know that we are disciples of Jesus by the nature of our relationships, which really reflects a heart change. You look at Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was somebody who, uh, who leveraged value from other people. But when Jesus, when he had a heart change, it was that point Jesus said, uh, your sins are forgiven, you are coming to your house. So the nature of relationships, and one of the things I really want to uh, encourage us to be, to, to be courageous in this, because what it does do is this. It brings us to a point where we have to address the things in our heart. I don't want you to come to the end of your life having attended church for X amount of years or X amount of days and come to a point where you've actually never discovered your sense of purpose inside of your life. You haven't got any sense of meaningful relationship. My heart for you is that you would have a sense of joy, that you would have that sense of fulfillment in your life, that you would come to a, a point in your life where you value the relationships, where you've worked in your own heart, where you've turned around the, the areas of pain inside of your heart. I love what my dad has done where, where there was a void of love, where there was a void of emotional connection. He only allowed God to come and heal that part of his life. And God used that then to bring that very same 
uh, same grace into so many people all around the world. One of the stories I've been, I've been really impacted is this, the story of Jonathan David. Jonathan and David is the story of a covenant relationship that eventually set the destiny of a people. And I believe this whole story is, 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 is put together in the Bible, not just for a good idea, but one of the things I see in here is the nature of the relationship that David had with Jonathan. The Bible says it was different. The love that they had was different to the love that he had with a woman. Homosexuals will try and use that as a, as a validation for their, for their lifestyle. Actually, it's got nothing to do with that. There's a relationship that you and I can have, and you'll see how this relationship that these people had is, is available for you and I today. The, 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 the relationship that David had with Jonathan and Jonathan had with David was what, what would be called a covenant relationship. They entered into a covenant relationship. In other words, the nature of their relationship was beyond just being mates. Beyond being mates. It was beyond just, hey, buddy, how's it going? And oh, you know. It was way beyond that. It was, the, it was a covenant relationship. We're in a society today where not many people understand the idea of covenant relationship. They don't understand the value of it. They don't understand what it, do, what it can do to people. Yet, covenant relationship is there to protect, but it's also there to add value. The Bible says that uh, one can put a, a thousand to flight, two can put ten. It's, forgive me if my maths is a little bit wrong on that. But it does say that. And so what it talks about is this, that actually by the nature of our relationships, our sense of security or our security is, 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 is built up, multiplied, but also our value was increased as well. So David and Jonathan had an amazing relationship that, one, it set the destiny of a people, and two, God's plan for redemption. Amazingly, I think there were things in that relationship that could have easily destroyed their bond. And as I started to look at this, uh, it was an amazing, amazing bigness of heart. And if I was in that position that these people were put in, it would have been incredibly, I believe it would have been in, in incredibly challenging. Uh, interesting that when they first met, that David had already been anointed as king over Israel. You've got to understand that Jonathan was an incredible, he was an incredibly big man. He must have been a big man. His dad, King Saul, was, uh, he was, the Bible says that he was head and shoulders above everyone else. He was a big and a strong and a handsome looking dude. And his son, Jonathan, must have been the same. Must have had a similarity there. Jonathan was a, a, a man of great courage. He was a man of, of great determination. He was a man who knew how to inspire the people around him. We know the story of uh, when, he, uh, when, when he took on the Philistines just by himself and his armor bearer. Jonathan was, a, an, a, was an amazingly strong man. One of the things we know about Jonathan was this, that one, his dad was the king, which meant this, that who was going to be next in line as the kingship of Israel? Jonathan. So you can imagine if you were the son of a king, you were, the, you were a prince, and you had your heart set on that you knew, and you, knew, you knew in your subconscious that one day the kingdom was going to be yours, that one day your dad was going to move on and you were going to be anointed as king over this whole country. Right? But as time goes by, one of the things that we see is that David emerged on the scene. Now, David was not a king. The Bible says he was, he was a shepherd boy. But both, both David and, 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 and Jonathan, both, they demonstrated almost very similar characteristics. They were both strong. They were both handsome. They were both knew how to fight, much like uh, some of the people here, very strong and handsome. He was destined to rule after it. Jonathan was destined to rule after his father. Jonathan was well aware of this. 
On the other hand, David was a keeper of sheep. He was young. He was bright-eyed. He rescued his father's sheep from the lion and the bear. Both of these guys had very similar characteristics. However, both of them had come from very different upbringings. Eventually, David became adopted into the family. He, became, he got married to, to Michael, and he became a son-in-law. He became an adopted son. And so one of the things I want to encourage you about, if you start to see what must have been going on in Jonathan's life. Here he was destined to rule, but then here's somebody else. God can imagine the conversation that would have gone past. Actually, God has anointed me to be king. And for many people, they become threatened when, they, when their heart is not whole, when they're not emotionally whole. They become extremely jealous or become extremely envious when people around them start to become either anointed or God starts to move upon their life. There must have been something of bigness in Jonathan's life, knowing that one, he was destined by right, but yet God had another plan and another purpose. It's interesting that yet all this favor and honor and Saul's sight was not destined to last. One of the things we see is David started to grow in stature and respect among the army. So Saul started to become threatened by David by the emerge of somebody that looked better, that maybe had different characteristics that, that the anointing of God had shifted upon. And David started, Saul started to get jealous of David. It's very typical of the tall poppy syndrome that we have in, in, in New Zealand. Saul became, so Saul became to a point where he actually wanted to murder David. Saul became determined because he knew that he would be replaced on the throne. This also meant that Jonathan would never, ever be king. Never be king. Many people have aspirations in life. This is what I was talking about before, about leveraged relationships. Many people use other people to try and get themselves ahead. They see it in ministry. We see it in every, work of, every walk of life. You see people use other people or leverage of other people. Everyone is trying to get to a sense of power. Everyone is trying to get to a sense of prominence. Everyone is trying to be somebody in the world. And the problem is in the world where people are so broken, when they're not secure in who they are, they will use people to get ahead. They'll stamp on people. They'll stand on anybody they possibly, and anyone that tries to emerge that shows sign of promise, they'll keep the nature of the relationship down here. As long as you're below me, as long as the power balance is not shifted like that, as long as it's either like this or like that, then I'm happy. But the moment that somebody else starts to emerge that could be better than me or somebody that might be a little bit anointed than me, it challenges every part of a person's soul. It challenges every part of a person's thought life and a part of their emotions. One of the things we find is that uh, instead of Jonathan being threatened by David, instead of Jonathan being like his father and become jealous and bitter, that the kingship was going to be taken away. Everything, the recipe was there for David and Jonathan to be arch enemies. Everything was there. So in the course of Saul, one of the things we see is he got bitter when he found out that David was going to supersede him. But Jonathan, there must have been something powerful about the heart of Jonathan. Jonathan was raised one as a king, but he, had a, he must have had some dad problems. The Bible even specifically indicates that there were some problems with his dad. Dad initially started out pretty good, but eventually he got angry. In fact, he got demon-possessed. 
And so Saul is raised in an environment where he's got a dad who was, who was king, but yeah, he was demon-possessed. Started to get bitter. Started to must have, must have, uh, there must have been conversations. In fact, there was one conversation there where Jonathan got so upset and so angry at the way his dad had got that he stormed out of the, stormed out of the palace. You'll find that many people, we come up under less than ideal situations. Sure, you might have all the money in the world, but actually the nature of our relationship may, with our dad may not be that good. But yet Jonathan made something, there was something inside of his heart that he, that he kept right. And I believe that if Jonathan can do it, anyone else can do it. Jonathan must have made a decision to keep his heart right before the Lord. He, he remained as a man of honor. He remained a, a man of, of, of passion. It would have been easy for him to go along with his dad's fury. It will be easy for every one of us here to go along with the way that the world relates. It will be every, it's easy for us to pick up somebody else's bitterness. It's easy for us to get into, a, 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 get into a, a way of living where we become threatened by people around us. We become insecure by the people that God is maybe raising up. And what it does, it points to the very core of what we believe and what we have our heart placed on. It would have been easy for him to go away. He must have, he must have come to this point where he's saying, it's not fair, God. Why should, I be, why should I be punished because my dad messed up? Essentially, he lost his kingship because I, there'd be a bunch of reasons. But one of the big reasons was this, is that Saul got angry. And the effect of his anger, the effect of his rage, the effect of his not being able to um, get his heart right with the Lord could have affected his whole family, affected his kingship. But so, uh, Jonathan got to a point where he could have been affected by his father's rage, but he didn't. He, one of the things he did was he accepted, he accepted God's decision. In fact, he became best friends with the very person that could have been a very threat to him. Instead of being threatened, instead of moving away instead of becoming an enemy, one of the things that Jonathan did was he embraced him and he loved him. It shows the nature of his heart. That people that could be threatened, instead of being pushed away, he embraced them. Now you could put that, you could put that into any context. Maybe there is a people group, maybe there is an ethnicity that God is raising up and that God is moving strongly on. It would be easy to sometimes reject them because they're different to you. But what it does show, it shows the heart. Are you willing to reach out and, some, and, and embrace somebody who could be a potential threat, who could take your glory? People everywhere are looking for glory. People everywhere are looking for significance. But what say if somebody, God brought somebody who was going to move past that? What would you do? What would you do? Would you embrace if God fell on a, a particular ethnic, ethnicity? Would you embrace that or would you be threatened by that? If God started to bring gifted people who were into this house who are maybe a little bit different, would we see them as a threat or would we see them, would we embrace them and believe in their future? People that could be a potential threat to us to our glory, to our sense of significance in life? Would you shy away from them, hold them at arm's length, or would you move closer and hold them because you believe in the future? 
And I believe that we're in a society today, I've seen it in different contexts where even in, the, in, in succession planning, which I did my master's in, where there's an idea where people felt threatened, where their glory was going to be threatened or perceived to be threatened. Instead of embracing people, there is a, a walling off of people. And I believe this is the love that Jesus was talking about. Because as the church grows, there are going to be different people that will come in, different color, different shape, different size, different background to you. In fact, they may even threaten you. <laughs> Not physically, but they may threaten your sense, your, your ministry position. The call of God that God had on your life. Maybe it's shifted. The, the depth of relationship with this, that they ended up coming into a covenant relationship. And in, even in 1 Samuel 20, verse 14, he says, part of their covenant relationship was this, and you shall not only while I yet live show the kindness of the Lord that I die not, but you shall not cut off your kindness from my house. In other words, the depth of their relationship was this. If I die, don't let your kindness drop off from my people, off my family. If either one of us die, let the kindness be showing to generate. Let their love be generational. Don't just love me. Love my kids too. Don't, if, I, if something happens to me, don't write off my family. Don't write off my kids. If I fail, if I, if I mess up, if something happens to me, would that love still be reached out to my kids? One of the things Dad always said to me, he said, he said, I know when somebody is genuinely reaching out to me because they'll love my wife. They'll love my kids. The love that God has for us is a generational. It's not one-dimensional. It's multi-dimensional. It goes beyond just looking after one person. It's a generational. I love you. I love your kids. I love your family. And you can see that in in David's life, when eventually David became king, he reflected back and he said, is there anyone in the house of Saul that I could show kindness to? And there was Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth is a crazy word. The Bible says that he was crippled and, went, and he couldn't walk. And there was no way that a crippled person could come and be in the palace. Crippled people were not allowed in the palace. So in one sense, David superseded all of that and he said, I'm going to bring him, he will sit at my table. In other words, it's a whole different conversation, but the whole, whole, whole idea of the tablecloth was made out of um, lambskin. The word for lambskin and the word for reconciliation is the same Hebrew word, which means, uh, it means shulkon, which means whenever you saw lambskin, you saw reconciliation. And tablecloths were made out of lambskin. So every time there was a table, there was a lambskin across there, and that actually symbolized that actually the spirit of love will cover our sense of weaknesses. So where 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 Mephibosheth, even though he was weak, even though on the, for the, uh, in the eyes of the law he was not allowed to be, and even in the eyes of God he wasn't allowed to be in the temple, the love that David had because of the covenant, with the, the covenant he made with his friend Jonathan, the love covered the brokenness. And you'll find that people will come and they'll be broken. Even people that cannot do you any value at all, but yet because you've made a commitment to love, God and to love your brother, that love extends, that covers a multitude of sins. It's pretty, it's pretty cool, huh? We can have this kind of relationship. I'm just going to just break it down to just a couple of points for you this. Interesting that this, where I started to look at the nature of the relationship, 
what things that they did. In 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 1, uh, Jonathan gave David some of his treasured items. Whenever you look at these particular things, you'll find that they're not just random items. They're actually symbolic of the nature of the relationship that you had. They're actually symbolic, like when you got married. When you get married, they give you a ring. You get a ring. It's it's symbolic of the love that we have for one another. Men do that as well. It's kind of like, man, if you can borrow your chainsaw, our our love has just gone to a whole new level. (laughs) You know? If I lend you my boat, man, we are talking about broship for years. So he goes here, so David gave some of, instead of being threatened by him, instead of being threatened by David's emergence, David, Jonathan embraced him and gave him some of his treasured items. He gave his one, he gave his robe. The robe speaks of righteousness and honor. As a prince, he would have carried a prince robe. So instead of being threatened by him, see, and, this, and the nature of this relationship was this, that initially Jonathan had all the power. He was the one who was the prince. He was the one that had the sword. He was the one that was the king's son. He had the power in the relationship. But as opposed to suppressing him lifting and, and, and holding David down, he saw that God had a plan upon his life. Saw that God had he'd heard that God's anointed him. Instead of being threatened by him, he committed himself to raising up. So the first thing he did was he gave him his robe, which speaks of right standing. In other words, when you come in, when Jonathan put that robe, he said, it was symbolic of the nature of our relationship. He's saying, I recognize the call of God as a, as, a, as a prince. I recognize the call of God upon your life. I believe in your future, son. I believe in your future. I recognize it upon your life. Righteous means, righteousness means right standing. He also recognized the position that God was bringing him up to. So he's, instead of letting him turn up into the, in, into the, into the king's palace in his, in his rags, he set him up for success. He set him up for success. Every one of us have got somebody around our life that we can set up for success. Every one of us, there is somebody around us that will be of less honor than us. Why not lift them up? Why not put what we have upon their life on them and lift them up to the same status as us and not be threatened by them? Why not empower the people around us? The second thing he does, you can, you can reach this, research this for yourself. The second thing he gave was a sword. The sword represented power, protection, authority, strength, and courage. It's the nature of the relationship. Not only will I lift you up or give you a place of righteousness and honor, I'm going to put a sword in your head. I'm going to empower you. I'm going to give you courage. The courage that's on my life, I'm going to impart into your life. The spirit that's upon me, I'm going to impart it upon into you. I'm not going to be threatened by you. I don't, I'm not threatened by you. You're going to use that sword on me. Not one bit, No. Actually, I'm going to empower you. I'm going to put my courage, I'm going to put my boldness into your life. That's a part of the, that's the, part of the relationship that he had. The other one he gave him was his bow. The bow means, speaks of the doctrine of truth as opposed to falsity. In Jeremiah 9 verse 11, it talks about they bend their tongues and their bow is a lie. In other words, one of the, one of the definitions of, 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 having, of the bow was this, that you can be sure that my relationship with you is true. You can be sure that my relationship has no strings attached. You can be sure that my heart towards you is pure. I'm not here to use you. I'm not here to, uh, to step on you. 
I'm here. My word is my bond. If I say I love you, I love you. If I say I'm committed, I am committed. If I say I'm loyal, I am loyal. Many people today, they don't do that. They don't live their life according to that anymore. I'm not going to say to you one thing over here and then say something else over here. That's falsity. I'm not going to flatter you. I'm going to speak the truth in love. All of this is giving somebody a bow. It's representative of this, that I will be true to you. When you're there, when you're not there, I will be true to you. If you're weak, I will be your strength. I will not kick you when you're down. I will lift you up. It also speaks of military power and personal power and strength. Job 29 verse 20 says, My glory was fresh in me and my bow was renewed in my hand. In other words, when I give you my bow, I'm giving you one, my word, but I'm also going to empower you. When your your hand or when your arm is weak, I will come and I will lift you up. I will strengthen your arm. When you're discouraged in your life, when you're emotionally down, I will be there to support you. I will be there to lift you up. When you feel like you can't go on anymore, I will be there for you. I will not forget you. I will be your strength. When you can't lift that anymore, I will lift it for you. That's why Jesus said, bear ye one another's burdens. Because sometimes you get to a point where you can't lift something anymore. You can't lift yourself. You've got to have somebody that can come and lift your arm for you. You need somebody that will not shoot you in your back when you're down, but will come and speak the truth. Not somebody who's going to flatter you. You need somebody who will love you and speak the truth. What a world that we could live if we had friendships like that. The other thing he gave him was the belt, which, sent, which means the truth. The belt of truth it means to encompass or to embrace. Basically, it holds everything together. It's a symbolic of faithfulness. In other words, he's saying, when there's no one there to embrace you, I will remember this around your life. Remember, this is going to be a token. If I'm not there to embrace you, then you just remember this, that even though you're not there, I will be there in spirit, and I will hug you, I will bless you. I've got you, I've got your life, man. I've got you, I'm going to hold you. Every one of us needs, will come to a place where we need that brother that's, we need that friend that's closer than a brother and so, mate. Instead of being threatened, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, if I see your life falling apart, I'm not going to just stand by. I'm going to come and embrace you. I'm going to hold you. When this, this, this little ring here, I know it's just a little ring, but actually it's a signal, it's a symbol of, of a band that will hold, it will bind our love together. For a man, for these two guys, it was the belt. All of these were symbolic things. In fact, he goes on to say, in fact, you know what? I'm going to give you my whole armor. Have the lot. It's yours. Where else have you seen that? Where else do you see that in Scripture? Friend, I want to tell you today, there is a person, every one of us have a, can have a relationship the same as David and Jonathan. The first one is this, is that Jesus Christ, when he came into this earth, he promised that he would not leave us alone. He said, you're going to walk through some trials, but I'm going to send somebody to you who's going to enter into a covenant relationship with you. His name is the Holy Spirit. He's going to never leave you. And the Bible talks about having the full armor of God. He's going to come and he's going to put a, a robe of righteousness upon your life. 
He's going to come and he's going to, the whole armor of God, there's a sword of the Spirit that he wants to put into your hand. The, the breastplate of righteousness. Put on the full armor of God. Friends, there is a covenant relationship that God extends to you and I, just like Jonathan did to David. The fullness of God is available for you and I, but it comes out of covenant relationship. It comes out of covenant relationship. God's not, obviously, God is not threatened by any one of us. God is not threatened by whether we put his name on the parliament prayer or not. He's still God. He is still God. The issue is the love that we have one for another. That's where it's at. One of the things I want to encourage is this, that one, there's a couple of things that we can do to, 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 to cultivate this. One, it requires, building a covenant relationship requires this. One, it requires self-sacrifice. For Jonathan to build this relationship with David, he, had, he was the initial power broker. But he used this power for the good of his friend and at a cost to himself. Every time he kept David safe or promoted David's interests, he was destroying his own chances of inheriting his father's throne. In order to bring this person up, in order to bring his friend up, he actually had to do things that actually sacrificed his own future. To have a covenant relationship means you've got to be able to sacrifice some things. You've got to have a heart to let self-interest go. It requires loyalty and faithfulness. Requires real commitment. Friends, I want to encourage you here today. All of us long for fullness in life. When you look at the story of David and Jonathan, you see eventually David became king. But Jonathan's part, he had to play in that. Essentially affected the whole of Israel. Because of his love, because of the nature of their relationship that they had, it set up David into his kingship, what eventually shifted the course of history. Because of the bigness of heart of a man. The bigness that he had to say, actually, regardless of the fact that my dad's got a demon possessed and abusive to me, actually, I'm going to keep my heart right. And I know God's got a plan and a purpose for me. Jonathan's plan and purpose was eventually to raise up a king. I want to encourage you today to look at your own relationships. God brings people into his family. God has brought you here. He's not brought you here to be leveraged by anyone, but to, because he believes in your future. I'm not here to leverage you. I'm quite happy with my own life. I'm, I know that I'm quite secure in who I am in Christ. And my heart is not to leverage you. My heart is not to use you. My source of security comes from God and God alone. I've been to a place where I've had nothing and I'm okay. My heart for you is to see the good, to see the destiny that God has in your life. My bond to you is this. I, don't, I won't speak badly of you. My heart, I'm not threatened by any one of you. <laughs> I'm not holding on to my position as pastor so tightly that no one else can ever take this throne. Absolutely not. I'm believing that God will bring people in. I'm believing that God will bring people in who are, who are, who are anointed, who are, have got the call of God upon their life. And I want to create an atmosphere. I want our relationships to be that we're, what, that we're truthful with one another. We're not going to flatter one another. We're not going to be threatened by people who may be a little bit different to us, but they've got a, a seed of greatness inside of their life. 
going to speak truth. I'm going to be hospitable one for another. Well, if I see my brother that's down, I'm not going to kick him. I'm going to get around his life. I'm going to strengthen his arms. We have that Holy Spirit that comes around our lives. So when we're down, the Holy Spirit will come and lift us up. But we also got to have that love for one for another. And by this love that we have for one another, the nature of our relationship that we have one with another, by that, all men will know that we are disciples of Jesus Christ. I pray today for our relationships. Don't come to church and don't treat your relationship with the people next to you and the people around you, the church whanau. Let's not treat it as transactional, try and leverage anyone to get us ahead. God will bring us forward in his due time. Make it a point to one, get your heart healed. If there's brokenness, if there's pain inside of your heart, like every one of us have walked through some pain of one degree or another. But it's up to us whether we allow God to come and heal that. If we do, we'll find that our relationships will start to change. What about the people around us? What are we going to do with them? What about the person sitting next to you? What could you do? What could you do this week? What could you do today to encourage somebody, to lift somebody up? I believe that we're in our greatest days. But one of the things I really want is this, is that one, that our, our lives will be knitted together in the bonds of love. I've seen people come to the church and they'll come here and, and I know darn well what they're here for. They're not here for a relationship. They're here to get ahead in life. Love them anyway. <laughs> Love them anyway. But when you make the decision to enter into covenant relationship, you'll find that's where the love and the value truly is. If you want to live a transactional life, by all means do it. But you'll find that you won't experience, I believe, the fullness of what God has for our life. Let's just close our eyes and bow our heads. Father, I thank you for every person in this room. Lord, I thank you for your family this morning. I pray, Holy Spirit, for your love to come and touch every person. I thank you, Lord, that you've entered into a covenant relationship with us. But it doesn't matter what we do or how we act or play up sometimes. Lord, your love never fails. They always believe in us, that you always speak highly of us. Lord, we're always in your thoughts. I pray, Lord, for every person here this morning. Lord, help us grow in the areas of our heart that are in pain. Help us become big people, I pray today in Jesus' name. Help us become big-hearted people who embrace people that other people would see as a threat. Help us to be people of truth. Help us to be people that would lift up the arms of the people around us. Help us, Lord, to be people that would bring honour to those who are around us. Lord, I thank you for every person that you've brought into this house and every person that you will bring in. Lord, I bless their futures today in Jesus' name. Lord, I bless their families today in Jesus' name. Go on and just stand up on our feet this morning. The great I am. He has reached out, sent his son Jesus Christ to enter in covenant relationship with us. Why don't we just lift our hands and just worship him this morning? Let's allow his presence one more time just to come over our lives afresh.
Have a fantastic week. Love you heaps. You're amazing people. Our greatest days are in front of us. We're looking forward to Supernatural Encounter in Auckland next year. March 22, 23. If you want to be a part of it, come and let me know. I'd love to have you involved somewhere. We'll find a place for you to fit. I love what God has done amongst us and what God is going to continue to do. Be committed to a genuine relationship. We're going to have a fantastic new year. God is going to grow us and bring us up into new levels. Amen. Come on, you turn to somebody and bless them tonight in Jesus' name.